music's been played a major role in my life growing up. You know, it's always been ingrained in me. So, um, you know, I remember going to my, as a really young kid, like uh, even kindergarten, like going to my grand grandparents' house or great grandparents' house and like just mashing the keys on their Wurlitzer organ, right? And then like mom and, and gra- grandma are in the other room going like, sounds great, huh? And I'm like, yeah, it's great. Um, but I think- I, <laughs> Encouragement. So, yeah, yeah, it's right? what we yeah. all need, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that notice they weren't in the room with me, they were I in the guess. other room, you know, because there's a volume <laughs> pedal on that thing. Welcome to Audio Branding, the hidden gem of marketing. Sound plays a more important role in human behavior and our decision-making than you may realize. In this podcast, I'll help you understand the art and science of sound so you can better influence others in business and your life. I'm your host, Jody Krangle. Let's delve a little deeper. Here's the first part of my conversation with Adam Plyman. Always in search of the next goosebump moment himself, my next guest takes huge pride in eliciting that reaction from those that he works with. His extensive musical background as a Grammy-nominated engineer, accomplished composer, producer, and player brings an expert foundation to the Sonic Creative team and to his role as creative director at Play Audio Agency. His name is Adam Plyman and he has a unique perspective having viewed so many facets of the audio industry and now approaching it from his sonic strategies lens. There's so much to talk about, and I look forward to sharing our discussion with you. As always, if you have questions for my guest, you're welcome to reach out through the links in the show notes. And if you have questions for me, visit audiobrandingpodcast.com, where you'll find a lot of ways to get in touch. Plus, subscribing to the newsletter will let you know when the new podcasts are available. And if you're getting some value from listening, the best ways to show your support are to share the podcast with a friend and leave an honest review. Both those things really help, and I'd love to feature your review on future podcasts. You can leave one in either written or voice format from the podcast's main page. I would so appreciate that. And now, here's my conversation with Adam Plyman. So how you doing, Adam? Thank you for joining me. Oh, it's it's my pleasure. I'm glad to be here. Um, and thanks for doing what you do, Jody. Uh, the show is a a gem for all of us in audio branding and, and the oh, industry I appreciate as well. That. So, yeah. so thank you so much. Well, thank you. Uh, yeah, I appreciate what you do too, which is why we're here. <laughs> so yeah, I, I just wanted to thank you for coming on the show and, and taking the time because I know you are a very, very busy person. Uh, but the first question that I like to ask people is if you have an early memory of how sound moved you. I'd love to hear that story if you can share. How sound moved me. Yeah. Oh, that, <laughs> there's there's a lot. Um, I, we have time. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been I've I've music's been played a major role in my life growing up. You know, it's always been ingrained in me. So um you know, I remember going to my, as a really young kid, like uh, even kindergarten, like going to my grand grandparents' house or great grandparents' house and like just mashing the keys on their Wurlitzer organ, right? And then like mom and, and gra- grandma are in the other room going like, sounds great, huh? And I'm like, yeah, it's great. Um, but I think- I, <laughs> Encouragement. So, yeah, yeah, it's right? what we yeah. all need, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that notice they weren't in the room with me. They were I in the guess. other room, you know, because there's a volume pedal on that thing. Oh, yeah. Um, but uh, but I think that I, the, and then and then I think growing up a little bit more, I realized um, in seventh grade, 
in um, for a science fair, the experiment that I chose to do was the memorability of jingles. And like, and, and, and so... Really? It, Back yeah, then? Yeah. And, and this I'm impressed. It didn't occur to me until <laughs> recently that that was something that like, that interested me way back then. Um, so it's, ju- I feel like it's just built in. Um, but, but yeah, so we had a, you know, probably a sample size of, of probably like four people in my immediate <laughs> family. I'm sure that the, the results were outstandingly, you know, accurate statistics that painted a really good, um, you know, st- <laughs> statistical significant uh, picture of the marketplace and who remembers well, it's just the, the idea yeah. that you were thinking of it back then. I'm impressed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I don't even think I got a great grade on it either. Um, well, so we'll have to go they back. They didn't and, understand. They just didn't get it. They, they weren't there yet. And that's, I think no. that's part of this industry as well. Like at least I know on the state side, it's been, mm-hmm. um, it's been a slow, a slow, um, education curve at times, I think to bring yeah. some people on board. So, um, you know, my seventh Canada grade. follows yeah. suit pretty closely, I think. I think Europe is just a little bit ahead of the curve when it comes to that. <laughs> and thank them for it. That's outstanding. Yeah. You know, yeah. let's, yeah, keep it up. Yeah. Uh, good things. <laughs> it's all good. Yeah. But it's it's really interesting to hear that you were all up in that before you even got started as a musician, I'm assuming. Yeah. Well, I was playing piano. I played okay. piano. I had piano lessons through um, yeah. ever since I was pretty young. Um, but <laughs> but yeah, and I didn't even, uh, like I said, I didn't even think about this. It didn't even occur to me until recently where I'm doing that same exercise in like every piece of work that we do, you know, or using analytics so. and combining the creativity and data and, abs- and absolutely every checkpoint along the way. It's like, huh. That's uh, something, something's in the DNA there, I'm guessing. Yeah. Well, that's, that's fantastic. I love that you started like that. But I also want to ask you how you got interested in like sound in the first place. The the music definitely is where it seems to have started, but then you went from there to like, what's the transition from there to audio branding? Because it's a big gap. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's, it's a, it's quite a. The journey is, I think, with anyone's, it's it's kind of you know, it, it takes yeah, some diversions winding. here and there, um, long and winding yeah. road. <laughs> so, so I got into music first, right? So I was mm-hmm. producing, um, recording, and uh, and and composing music first. So I would do work for ad agencies early on. That's you know, you, you quickly as a musician, um, I realized that if I wanted to make money somewhere, maybe I should you know try to find some you know, maybe some work for higher gigs or licensing stuff. And, you know, was, was hit or miss in that area for a while. Um, but it, but it worked, right. It still was, I was still pulling it off professionally. Um, but it, the, the hustle was hard. Um, that said, it was a blast and, you know, but, but there are times where you need to go, okay, like maybe I'm having kids and maybe I might need to make some more money or maybe have more of a stable existence. Um, but so so <laughs> musicians the, aren't so stable, unfortunately. Right, yeah. <laughs> so so we uh, so but prior to all of that, though, um, I, I've always been a tinkerer. Right. I've always like I've always taken like if as a child, if someone came to like fix the, the dishwasher or something, and had parts left over. I'd ask the repair guy if I could have those just so I could like take them apart and 
you know, have something that I don't have to worry about breaking and, and kind of satisfy that like curiosity of how things work. So okay, that uh, I'm curious before you get too far ahead, uh, what was the most interesting thing that you ever rebuilt? <laughs> oh, none of them ever like got back. Oh, they never the worked right again. Way. No, 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 no. They just, <laughs> okay. they went apart and then it's like, oh man, that's a lot of destruction. And what like, was the okay. most interesting thing that you got then that you took apart? <laughs> I was, uh, there was one that I thought uh, there was a, like a switch, like the, the switch on an old dryer okay. that that essentially it's like the one dial that, that that takes you through the cycles i didn't realize actually how much it was giant like it's like a whole you know it's like a whole contraption behind this it's like mm-hmm. a, you know like a, it controls all the processes um and at the time it was like just this analog circuitry so it was cool to see like oh if you put the switch here and then it triggers this 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 and this and tells these different pieces all these different things to do i'm like wow that's that's like that's really cool it's never going to do that again because now it's in all these pieces but but i i i loved that stuff okay Um, yeah oh yeah never really ever worked i i was in charge of fixing all the things in our house so like any door that was messed up or anything Mm -hmm. that needs uh, my my chores were to be the maintenance guy so yeah. And did everything work again at some point in your house? <laughs> I mean, I was like 12, you know, how, how great okay. can you do? You know, I might tighten a screw on a doorknob and maybe it'll work. But uh, OK, yeah. at least they let you try. <laughs> exactly. My dad okay. would get home. He's like, great job. And then do it himself. Um <laughs> <laughs> okay, I love it. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so, I didn't mean to derail you. No, I was no, just curious. No, no. But always tinkering was my thing. It's like I've sure. always, I've always wanted to know the details of kind of what makes things tick. Um, and 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 it, again, it takes to later in life looking back to go, oh, well, that's intrinsically been here this whole time, and like that's something that I gravitate towards, and I've noticed this trend, you know, throughout all my. Um, in, you know, all my jobs and professional life. Um, one of the early tinkers in sound was I would, I would put, um, I was like about, I think about 19, 20 years old. I grabbed a pair of little condenser microphones, like a lapel mics and put them in my ears. And I sat in a room and had like one person walk around in that room and do a couple like tasks, right. With objects in the room. And I would sit perfectly still. So I just would have this binaural recording, of what was happening in the room. And then we would bring someone else in the room who has no clue what would ha- what was happening or like a different day or something and just say, hey, you got to check this out. And you'd put headphones on and listen back to that recording. And so the minute you hit play, it takes a second because you start to hear the room tone of the room. And then your brain goes, oh, I've been here before and kind of shuts all that off. So you lose the room tone and then you're just kind of in the room sitting in the spot where you're at comfortably because it sounds like the atmosphere around you. And if you close your eyes, you can hear all the things happen. And usually I'd start them off that way. And it's like, hey, you know, just close your eyes and listen to this. I, there's a, it's a really cool thing. And they'll just sit there and they're like waiting for something to play. And then they'd hear a door open that's right in front of them. They'd open their eyes and tear off the headphones because the door hasn't opened and something's messed with them. And like that times any other thing we've done in the room, like someone knocking on the wall, you just watch them freak out and have this have this kind of separate sensory experience in a, in a space that they're familiar with. Um, and so... That like so the immersive side, the binaural side, the um, perception of it all, I think, is has always been a curiosity as well. So that sounds fantastic. Yeah, 
Yeah. yeah. And, and so, yeah, we've, we've gotten to build uh, now. It's, it's great in this work is with all the immersive technologies coming out with the platform supporting them with Dolby Atmos, you know, on, you know, on almost every platform, not almost, but a lot yeah. of them. Yeah. Um, it's getting, I know Sean, the guy that's running this right now yeah. is really into Dolby Atmos. Oh, <laughs> He's been doing a lot with that. Yeah. It's outstanding. <laughs> we were just listening. We were in New York uh, a few weeks back listening to um, the Atmos room at Flux Studios there. And it is mind blowing. It sounds so cool. And, and it's just the fact that the entire industry, like the AirPods are supporting it. You know, you're going to start to have more and more of these players supporting this, that immersive part of listening you know to to create that better connection to create more realism to like make a better experience are you looking for ways to improve your company's or podcast's impact you'd be surprised how powerful the use of an intentional audio branding strategy can be want to know more i have a free downloadable pdf that gives you my five tips for implementing an intentional audio strategy at voiceoversandvocals.com audio branding strategy that location does ask to put you on a mailing list just to send you updates on when the new podcasts come out. But if you really don't want to give your email out, I understand. Just contact me directly. My email is all over my website and I'll make sure you get that PDF without needing to sign up anywhere. If you do sign up though, you also get access to a resources section called the studio where I have videos, white papers and PDFs, discounts from my guests and snippets of audio from my guests that no one else gets to hear. So maybe it's worth your while. Totally up to you. And of course, if you're looking for voiceovers, you can get in touch with me about that too. Now, back to the podcast. So is that what Dolby Atmos does? It just makes it more of a realistic experience? Can you kind of explain how that works? Because yeah. I'm not really sure what the difference is. I don't know if I've heard it. <laughs> oh, yeah. So so it's really cool the way. So put me back in that, you know, let's, let's put yourself in that kitchen, right? And you have microphones in your ears. And mm -hmm. that's, you know, it's, it's essentially, you know, or a binaural head or something. Um, it's essentially, um, Atmos essentially is creating that environment digitally uh in the simplest of terms right so you can wear headphones and listen to an atmos mix get encoded into just your headphones binaurally um binaurally meaning you know via your head so what and and but what's really cool about all of this is that's just the end point for headphones the way atmos works is there's i think about 128 channels of audio like of wave files that are you know are your atmos mix and then along with each one of those is location data that plays along with the track so in any atmos mixing room or any like home theater it says you know in, in any atmos room you have like a, a you know a wide array of speakers you know you have seven at least seven around you four in the ceiling a few subs like a lot of speakers like the rigs are expensive um and so in that room, it's playing it back to place them exactly where they want to place them in that room. But if you don't have those speakers, the Atmos decoder says, oh, yeah, well, we only have these five speakers in here. So this is where it gets placed in this room, making sure that it's accurate in all those rooms. Couple that with the ability to then down, like create a acoustic environment in headphones. So it like creates a fake room in your headphones and then places those things using head related transfer functions. I know super geek, you know, 
according to my calculations. Yeah, well, I guess, you know, from where you hear it, yes. depending on where it's coming from and hitting your head. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So, so using that decoder there, it can then take those immersive mixes and put them in a place that makes sense in your headphones as well. And I think that piece of it has been really game-changing when it comes to make it, making it accessible to more people, mm-hmm. which I think the staying power um, you know, for, for, these more, for this immersive technology side of things is different this time versus like mix and surround sound or like let's put our ads in surround. Like, well, no one's mm-hmm. going to have all those speakers. But this tech is different, you know? And so they, I think to all the... The, the, the people who've said, I've seen this before, it's a little different. It's a little tweaked this time. Mm-hmm. And not everyone's going to be in it, but I do think a, a bigger mass, a more critical mass is going to not realize they are. You know, it's just going to be a normal thing that just comes with what you've bought. And you didn't sure. know you opted into that. Right now we're opting in at some point in time. It's going to be like, oh, yeah, it's powered by what? Oh, that's whatever. It sounds cool. Um, yeah. So. <laughs> um, that's exciting to me. Um, it is. Yeah. yeah. And, and well, as you know. a musician, as well as an audio branding person, I imagine. But so <laughs> I derailed you again. <laughs> but but going from becoming a musician and, and wanting to make a living into going into audio branding, how did that transition yeah. happen? <laughs> so um, one. De- well, the perfect derailment, because this was a derailment for me. Um, I took a job and I was spending a lot of time traveling. I had, um, I had just gotten married and I'm like, maybe I should stay in town more. And so I took a job, um, that my client was Procter and Gamble and we were in charge of, um, basically running a service that was removing. Now this is going to like give you an idea of how long ago this was that, that was removing the use of physical prototypes when it came to um, design reviews. So their physical prototypes are expensive. And so if you move to something more digital, um, you know, high resolution pixel walls, you know, multi, you know, uh, we had like 3D caves with polarized glasses you'd wear to like look at store changes and things like that. Um, And it was basically a way to get, you know, get, the understanding internally about what your design, how your design changes are going to affect your look in store. But then we'd also use this technology on the market research side to gain an understanding of how it's actually going to move the needle. So running that service. So I had, I had clients, I was managing, you know, a bucket of, of categories within Procter and Gamble that would then, Basically, my you know they were design managers and you know and um, design managers and brand managers were my primary contacts, and so to 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 go on the ride from, hey, this is what we think needs to change based on these consumer insights. This is the change. This is what it looks like on the shelf. This is how it's going to look differently on the shelf versus the recent competitive set. Then. Will they actually see it more? Are we actually going to see a lift in sales? Do we expect to see it on a research side? Going through that was was eye-opening. And at the time, I didn't connect the dots. I just saw very, very sophisticated brands making very informed decisions in a way that removed um, any sort of subjectivity. Like the words I like and my favorite is 
were never said in those meetings, you know, and, 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 and there's a hierarchy of, of feedback in the meetings too. And so it was really great to get that experience in there. Um, and it was really great to see that. Fast forward till the end of my stint in there. Um, I, you know, the, the opportunity was outstanding and a music opportunity came my way that was local and at the place that I had been trying to get into for the longest time. And oh, you got to take and that. So <laughs> the 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 talk to my wife of, hey, hon, I know we've got our first kid on the way and I know I'm in a pretty stable position. I got a phone call <laughs> and um, and the way we roll is, you know, definitely follow your heart. And uh, so I took the job and it was in music for advertising and there's a, a post-production uh, aspect to it as well. So lots of audio posts for ads, um, some movie work um, and lots of music work. Um, so after about a year at that role, uh, the owner had tasked me to, to you know, we kind of sat down and he was like, well, what do you see next? And I'm like, well, after spending, I don't like countless hours with creative directors and editors selecting music based on their gut, I got an idea. And, and I kind of laid it out of, I think I can mirror the process that we've been, you know, that, that we've been using, um, you know, from a design think standpoint and, and basically start to develop criteria or find criteria to help people who, um, I don't want to say non-musical people, but people who don't compose, right. To, to, to help the creative directors and help the people who, who, who say, well, you know, I, I'll, I'll know it's right when I, when I hear it. It's like, well, I could say that about colors. I could say that about shapes. I could say that about design. You know, I could say I'd know it when I see it about the design, but that industry has done a really great job in removing the subjectivity from those decisions. Uh, and it's still burgeoning in audio. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, lots of great work has been done. And so we spent we spent a lot of time. Um, there was there was great, you know, back back in the day, there's like some 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 great research of these like five brand dimensions that Jennifer Akers did um, that was like, oh, great. Like someone's starting to make sense of how these emotions start to ladder up to you know, to, to things that are measurable. Um, and, you know, and, and the way that things are getting measured now, um, I know we work, we work closely with Veritonic and it's a, it's a similar thing that you're starting to be able to track emotional connection and you're starting to be able to track emotional residence, not start. I mean, we've been doing this for a while now. Um, it, but pr prior to it was, you know, merely just asking questions of how you feel and when now people are clicking certain emotions at different times. And you can even, you know, do all the neuro tracking if you want to be able to say like, oh, excitement is peaking here. But it's not to this level of like, oh, they're feeling that this is sophistication, you know, with a, you know, with uh, with like a, a hair of ruggedness. Like it doesn't, you know, you can't get that granularity without, you know, some some sort of you know, qualitative, you know, asking, um, but it's getting there and it's getting close and that's really exciting to me. And so that's, so that's essentially the path was see, making those connections. And, and it was early. I mean, this was, 
I mean, I say early, it was early for me, but like there were many others doing the same thing at the same time. Um, and I, there, there was, there was one day that I, that I looked at a, at a, a press release and saw someone else had put out like a similar process to what we'd been touting and it was bought by somebody. And I'm like, Oh, like so deflated. <laughs> uh-huh. I'm like, I'm like, I did this. Like I've done this work. I've told no one about it. I'm like, it was just, I go, yeah. Okay, cool. There's, On the right track. Let's go. Room. Yeah, there's room for so many of these different yeah. processes. I mean, <laughs> yeah, everyone has a different way of doing it. I guess it's uh, unique to their own business, but they all get to the same point. That's the idea. Yeah, exactly. Like we've we've always prided ourselves with the the combination of 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 kind of this, you know, art and science, you know, the data and creativity um and, you know, but but really at the end of the day it's did it move the needle you know did did yeah. you know did did we achieve the goals that we wanted to achieve and you know is the and is the creative spot on you know that's those those two go hand in hand and so i think finding that balance is is giant um my the one of the first yeah. bosses i one of the first kind of producers i worked under um you know it was and this wasn't this wasn't you know wasn't much research to go into things we were just you know providing music against briefs and he he always would make you know as i'm pushing things to you know be edgier or you know as we're pushing things to try to be more on trend um a lot of times he would just come in and he goes hey you know creative is good but appropriate also matters so find your balance of creative and appropriate and i think you'll find that you know that this will be our brief to win and we want a lot it's just be good but like also realize like you're not you're not writing for you or writing for the consumer so finding that connection between the consumer and the brand understanding that connection and writing to that is big so you know if there's any way to remove that subjectivity along the way let's start upstream and do that and you know we'll win better so that was essentially the path right so you see the design thinking on the the you know sophisticated brand side and go like music can do this too and the your crutch of of uh i'll believe it you know i'll know it when i hear it is just that <laughs> yeah it's a crutch we can think smarter we can do better um and and that learning happens prior to um the creation of an edit it happens at the brand level it happens mm. it happens at the strategy level you know it happens you know at at, at with you know possibly with the cmo trickling down how the brand's supposed to sound. So is that when it gets in the lap of the creative director and it gets in the lap of the editors, they go, whew, good. I'm either going to dip out of this library of music that we've got, or I'm going to talk to this, you know, to this composition house who knows how to write for the brand and get something brand spanking new that's going to work for my spot, that's going to be on brand and make my life so easy. And it's 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 empowering at that point in time, you know, if if it's done well, there's no handcuffs or the handcuffs are loose or the guardrails are wide. Right. And you can exist in the space um, in a in a safe way. So or in a creative way still, but also appropriate. I know we're all super busy and pulled in so many different directions these days. So I wanted to take a moment to celebrate and thank the people who have taken a moment to review this podcast. Sue's Insta writes, fascinating topics and great guests. 
I love all things related to audio and marketing, and this podcast has been a longtime favorite. Jody covers so many aspects of the world of audio and how it impacts branding, marketing, and the way sound influences audience perception. Her guests are interesting and relatable, and Jody's delightful voice, insights, and contagious laugh make this show a must listen. Thanks so much, Suze. I really appreciate your review, and I'm so glad you're enjoying the podcast. And now back to the show. I would imagine that it's also a little cheaper when it comes right down to it. I mean, the companies are investing in the sound that they're going to yeah. use over a period of time, and it can evolve as they evolve. Yeah. And, you know, they have this directory of music that they can go to that already has their brand sound, and they don't need to go outside of that and pay for, you know, license-free music directories every five seconds, because there's so much content out there now. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, especially with big enterprises. So we, um, we've, we, we do a fair amount of work with ADM. Um, they're large, 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 large company, um, a global food uh, manufacturer. I think they have something like a hundred or so banners underneath their name. They exist in 160 different countries. Wow. And so you think about the reach and the communication needs on a company that big. And in a major way, they stepped up and said, I, I and, and, and audio was just one part of it. Like what they did from a enterprise standpoint to make their communication um, spot on, uh, I will say on equity consistent and persistent um they we we worked with them to create an audio brand you know they don't do i mean they're they're out there in the world but it's also not something that they brought you know they're not a, a broadcast you know company um but they do a lot of commu you know external communications they do you know they do they do a lot of i mean just corporate communications even and so they needed they needed first off that they needed a, an audio logo. Um, they were in mids. They were in the middle of a brand refresh, and so it was perfect timing. Um, and so we worked with the branding agency um, LPK, who was doing their uh, who was doing their uh, brand refresh, um, and then also worked with the motion company on the on the audio brand and the logo. So from there comes you know to then the the how it spreads out to kind of create a more solid ecosystem was that catalog of like what do you and so we pulled the you know basically all the content creators internally to say what kind of music have you been using you know what should we use like emotionally we know from all the you know workshops we've done like the you know tones and textures workshops and all the you know conversations we've had and then the research we did internally um, what textures work for the brand? What textures work from, you know, from from the brand theme? What has to, you know, what melodies carry over, you know, as 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 part of, you know, your uh, who you are as a company, and how do we utilize those and iterate? I like how you describe it as textures. Oh yeah, that's that's interesting. Yeah, <laughs> I've never heard it described that way. <laughs> I, I I've I've learned over the years that if I use words like timbre and instruments, half the faces in the room go blank so oh no oh, yeah. <laughs> but i get it yeah uh, it, well, it's because some people like they they associate as non-musical or like i yeah. like to me i like to listen to music but man you start talking to me about like how you play guitar and i'm like i, I, I can't i can't connect yeah. to that um so i've i've always used visual terms 
um, or, or tactile turns that, that people know. So, um, mm-hmm. and that's mostly in, in, our, in our whole process too. And you will get slapped on the wrist if you work at Play Audio Agency and you say, that timbre is really nice out to a client and it'll be, it'll be a big deal. Actually, we don't do that at all, but <laughs> you wouldn't get slapped on a wrist. You do know it. But, um, oh, no. Okay. But yeah, we, uh, we only know there's, I man, what's of, of all the companies I've ever worked with, this is the probably most positive and chill, laid back, lovely bunch of people. They're talented. It's I all love good out that. So, you got there in an interesting way, though, right? Like, weren't you um, with Gwyn before? Isn't that? Yes. So, well, Gwyn rebranded. Did it transition yes. into? Okay. Yeah. So um, we had, uh, it was time. Uh, mm-hmm. Clients were pulling us in a specific direction um, for more agency, kind of more AOR sort of work, less production, not less production, but the production was always been there, but more mm-hmm. upfront um, agency led thinking. And so it was time um, a- along with a move from our previous building to our new space. It was time to become something new that wasn't, you know, attached to, um, solely a production house because I, I think the perception mm-hmm. was that, that there was a lot of production happening and that, that work still happens here, but it's a lot of the upfront thinking stuff that we were doing that really wasn't being, really wasn't being shown. So, um, so yeah. Yeah. Gwyn- Have you noticed a, a difference between the switchover from Gwyn to, to play? Have you noticed like people coming to you for more of the specific things that play does as opposed to what Gwyn did? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's it's yeah, uh, definitely more on the agency sided work um, and and it's just better positioned, if you ask me. So that's kind of the look under the hood. I don't know how yeah. much. I don't know how much no, of that that's we great. want to use. <laughs> <laughs> Looking under the hood is always a good thing around here. This has been part one of our interview. I hope you'll tune in next week for part two. Well, that's the end of this episode. Thanks for listening. And if you like what you heard, why not tell a friend about this podcast? It's available in all the usual locations. Until next time. <laughs>